And welcome to Wednesday. It's Mike Opelka on the Pure Opelka podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I've been doing shows in Philadelphia and uh, Fort Myers, Naples for the last couple of days trying to catch up. But we have big news today. Usually Wednesdays are Wellness Wednesdays when Dr. Mike Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic stops by. He's not going to be joining us today. He's out in California. He'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow. So stay tuned for that. But we do have huge Huge news for you with uh, Gordon Chang joining us, one of the best minds on what's happening in the Asian Peninsula, especially as it relates to China and Russia, China and North Korea, China and Taiwan and the United States and what the heck is going on. So you will get it. The best update out there as Joe Biden is flying home from his European visit where I don't know if he actually moved us closer to a peaceful resolution of what's going on in Ukraine with the Russian invasion, or if he moved us closer to World War III. If you're paying attention to some of the chess pieces moving around, for example, China says they are ready to join forces with Russia and defend the national interests. Whose national interest? (laughs) I want to know. But as I said, we'll get Gordon Chang in here. And he will help us understand that. In the meantime, there are plenty of other topics to talk about. Before Biden left Europe, he was posing, posing with some of the European leaders who showed up for his last day there. And uh, somebody in the press actually dared to shout out, hey, Mr. President, any reaction to Vladimir Putin pulling out of the New START treaty? That's a nuclear treaty. Uh, Mr. President, any reaction to I don't have time. All I could say is it's a big mistake, but he doesn't have time. Why? Why don't you have time to at least give us a, a reaction? It's almost a full day since Vladimir Putin said he was pulling out of that treaty. You have time. The plane is not leaving without you, sir. It's your plane. Tucker Carlson pointed out last night that uh, Joe Biden is, uh, is not the guy we should be giving nuclear weapons to, saying it's like giving a toddler a handgun. That was in reaction to Biden mumbling, fumbling, and stumbling when he was giving his speech in Poland. The questions we faced were as simple as they were profound. Would we respond or would we look the other way? Would we be strong or would we be weak? Would we, would we, would we the, all of our allies, huh? would be united or divided? The guy should not have nuclear weapons. Why is no one saying that? It's- yes, you are. Thank God you're saying it. And, and we are as well. Thank you, Tucker. The other story that's out there is it relates to uh, high-ranking government officials. It goes back to East Palestine Ohio, where the uh, chemical mess is just starting to get cleaned up and the government officials are not really showing up, not the ones that the people wanted to see there. Biden certainly hasn't been there. Mayor Pete has not shown up yet. The EPA is there and they're vowing to make sure Norfolk Southern, the rail line, will pay, pay for all the cleanup and make the people there whole. I wonder. Let's hope they do. But uh, last night, one of the Daily Caller journalists, who happens to be somebody I know, Jenny Tare, 
followed briefly Mayor Pete as she saw him walking, I guess, in D.C., and wanted to ask him a question or two about what the heck is happening in East Palestine. And it got really creepy, really creepy, as Jenny Terre walked up to Mayor Pete, and I guess Mayor Pete's husband was walking with him, and this exchange happened. Secretary, what do you have to say? Hi, how are you? Good. Jenny Terre at the Daily Caller News Foundation. What do you have to say to the folks in Ohio, East Palestine, who are suffering right now? Well, I'd refer you to about a dozen interviews I've given today, and uh, if you'd like to arrange a conversation, uh, make sure to reach out to our press office. But... So, a little snarky. Here comes a reporter who identifies herself as a reporter with the Daily Caller News Foundation. Says, is there anything you want to say to the people of East Palestine? And I refer you to about a dozen interviews I've done today. It would take you 10 seconds, 15 seconds, maximum 30 seconds to answer. But you're not. So she's going to ask again. I have a conversation with you. Just walk you don't have a message here. for them? I do, and I shared it with the press many times today. I'd refer you to those comments. He could have handled this by making a simple statement, but he doesn't. And he keeps walking. And then it got creepy. Do you mind sharing it with us? No, I'm going to refer you to the comments that I made to the press because uh, right now I'm taking some personal time and I'm walking down the street. Are you going down there? <clears throat> What's up? Are you going down there at all? Um, yeah, I am. When are you going? Uh, I'll share that uh, when I'm ready. Okay, I'm thank down the you. Can I, get a, can I get a photo? Yeah. So he won't tell Jenny Terre, the reporter from the Daily Caller News Foundation, he won't tell her when he's going. And then he reaches into his pants pocket as he's walking and pulls out a phone and says, can I get a photo? This is intimidation. This is a government official trying to shut someone up. And Jenny Terre, thankfully, was recording the whole thing. Now, I am going to play the whataboutism game here. Had this been a Republican transportation secretary who was not showing up, not doing his job, not answering a simple question of a reporter, and that Republican secretary of transportation had said, hang on a second, um, you should go look up all the answers I've given before, never mind that I'm right here with you, uh, but uh, I want a picture of you. It would have been the lead story on every channel. They would have been talking about this forever and ever and ever. But the left side of the media is not bringing it up. Not even close to thinking about bringing it up. Jenny Terre deserves an apology from the Department of Transportation Secretary Mayor Pete Boot Edge. I'm not expecting it's going to happen. The other side of weirdness in this um, in this crazy world of politics happened on CNN yesterday where the uh, form person, the forewoman of the grand jury that was looking into all of the investigations of Donald Trump, who was um, making some comments about the 2020 election in Georgia. And uh, they've been trying to get Trump forever. This is like the four millionth attempt to get Donald Trump on something. And this grand jury had been meeting for a while, and they put out their list of recommendations. 
And it got freaky with the four-person. As a matter of fact, she was um, on MSNBC and CNN and uh, talking about Donald Trump and whether or not they should have subpoenaed him and had to swear him in. This sounds like a fangirl or somebody who's hungry for attention, or I think the kids say thirsty. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. Yeah, these are the adults we have helping out. This was crazy. And then after her appearance on CNN, Anderson Cooper was opining that it was, uh, well, this wasn't a good idea to send this four person out in front of the media. I, this person is talking on TV. I do not understand. She's clearly enjoying herself. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is this responsible? She was the four person of this grand jury. This is a horrible idea. And I guarantee you that prosecutors are wincing watching her go on this. I was wincing just <laughs> watching her eagerness yes. to like you know, hinted stuff. It's Ellie Honig is the attorney who's joining Cooper here and talking about what a mess this is. Painful in that respect. This is a very serious prospect here. We're talking about indicting any person. You're talking about potentially taking away that person's liberty. We're talking about potentially a former president for the first time in this nation's history. She does not seem to be taking that very right. seriously. But there's no reason for her to be out talking. No, I mean, there's a, right, it's okay. a prosecutor's nightmare. She, right, okay. Mark my words, Donald Trump's team is going to make a motion if there's an indictment to dismiss that indictment based on grand jury impropriety. She's not supposed to be talking about anything, really, but she's really not supposed to be talking about the deliberations. She's talking about what specific witnesses they saw, what the grand jury thought of them. She says some of them we found credible, some of them we found funny. I don't know why that's relevant, but she's been saying we found this guy funny or interesting. I think she's potentially crossing a line here. It's going to be a real problem for prosecutors. Hmm. A real problem for prosecutors. I hope so. But just think again, how much time and money was wasted in this sideshow? It's all about the obsession with Donald John Trump. All right, we're going to get uh, Gordon Chang in here in just a minute. But uh, yesterday, in, the, in kind of in sync with what Nikki Haley has been saying, that politicians need a cognitive test before they can run for the presidency, and I, I say they all need a cognitive test, each and every one of them, even as, as young as AOC, they all need some kind of cognitive test. And why AOC? AOC is traveling right now. She's on a CODEL as they call it, a congressional delegation. That means you and I paid for it to send her to Japan. And she's in Japan, and she's just fascinated with Japan. She's just thrilled to be with Japan and talk about how great Japan is. She has a problem with capitalism, apparently. I mean, American capitalism has a unique, in my view, has a unique brutality to it. So American capitalism has a unique brutality to it. What is wrong with the people in her district that they keep electing her? I think she's also got aspirations for higher office. Don't be surprised if somebody thinks of her as a senator or, God forbid, a vice president. I guarantee you they think it'll bring in votes. 
She's not a smart person. She doesn't really have a grasp of the truth or reality or capitalism for that fact. Hell, she barely has a grasp for international travel and what it means to her. Um, I am going to be kind of fundamentally disconnected a little bit from the news cycle in the United States. So I just want you all to know that there's likely going to be some delays. Um, It's already kind of almost 9 p.m. tomorrow. Uh, It's it's 9 p.m. on February 20th. She's having a hard time, a really hard time. And this is someone who's part of the highest levels of government in the greatest country on the planet. It's really terrifying, isn't it? Yeah, the Republicans are starting to build a team inside of Brooklyn, we understand, to maybe give a run against AOC in 2024. But I was talking about the fact that Donald Trump has come out supporting Nikki Haley's idea of cognitive tests for people over 75 running for president. And I also think anyone who addresses the World Economic Forum or the United Nations or any of these global control people like George Soros should have to pass a cognitive test before they can do it. Soros was in uh, Munich last week and uh, appeared to lose it. He was reading from a paper right there in front of him. And it seems like the brain farts were happening and he couldn't stop it. You have to see this. The melting of the Greenland ice sheet affects uh, 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 um, He's staring at the paper. uh, 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 I see it. Yeah. That was about 25 seconds of eh, 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 eh. Couldn't get a thought together. Cognitive tests. We should have them. Especially with people who have enough money to influence elections to get district attorneys elected who will subsequently not apply the rule of law. Maybe this is the end of Soros, but the kid who's going to inherit the fortune is no better. I tell you flat out. All right, two things coming up. We're going to have Jim Stovall with a little winner's wisdom just around the corner. But right now, I'm taking just a brief break, and we will bring in the one and only Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang, on the Pure Opelka podcast. My friend, uh, Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. You should be following him, at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter for great information. So I reached out and I asked Gordon Chang if he would spend a little time helping us understand on a, on a bigger level what all of this means, and he's here. Hello, my friend. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. Some days your information scares me a little bit. I do enjoy being knowledgeable in any subject, but at this time, a lot of my friends are saying they're worried that we're teetering closer and closer to World War III that might have a nuclear component. Are we overreacting, Gordon? 
Uh, no, you're not. Um, and the reason is that right now we could be in the first stages of the Third World War. We have in, in Ukraine um, a proxy war. It's not just Russia versus Ukraine. It's Russia, North Korea, Iran, and China on one side. And on the other side, of course, Ukraine, the United States, NATO, and other countries. So this looks like one of those situations that could actually embroil the world. And the other thing about this is if we don't kick the Russians out of Ukraine, then Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, is going to think that he can then move on Taiwan or someplace else. So really, this war can spread very fast at both ends of the Eurasian landmass. And if China gets involved, you know, I they've threatened to use their nuclear weapons, as has Putin. That might not be a hollow threat. And that's uh, a little disturbing, considering we all have enough nuclear weapons to wipe out the world several times over. When Vladimir Putin was giving his his version of a State of the Union address in uh, Russia, he announced that he's pulling out of a, a nuclear reduction treaty that Obama signed and Biden extended it five years. Does this really have any effect on on anything? Or I, I mean, I heard one reporter say that we're all going to honor our commitments, even though he's pulled out of it. Well, Russia has not been honoring its commitments for the last several years. Um, the New START Treaty, which is what you're referring to, has various compliance provisions, and China and, and uh, Russia has not been adhering to them. So, uh, no, it, it is actually going to mean something. This is the last arms control treaty, really, of any consequence. And clearly, um, this treaty is not long for this world. There remains the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty, which is a global pact, but which really at this point is not affecting um, countries' decisions. So really, with the end of New START, it could very well be the end of arms control in the world. And although arms control is overblown or too much significance for it, it comes at a critical time. And right now, every erosion of stability could really lead to that World War III that you just talked about. See, I, I think that um, that phrase, erosion of stability, is really important. Um, any stability is welcome when you have adversaries as large and powerful as America, China, Russia, and even in the case of North Korea, who now we know is growing its military arsenal as well as the potential for long-range delivery systems. Uh, so stability is the key thing. And while we have this new START treaty that's been around since 2010, and now it's looking like it's going to go away, China and North Korea haven't really been a party to any of these agreements, have they? No, new START only has two parties, the Russian Federation and the United States of America. And that's one of the problems with new START. Um, as you pointed out, the Biden administration uh, exercised an option in the original treaty to extend it, but it was set to expire in 2026. And really, um, many people have been saying, well, we should just extend it with Russia. But no, we shouldn't for a number of reasons. And one of them is because China is not a party to it. And China and Russia are working very closely together. So although Russia and the United States could adhere, for instance, to the caps on, on the number of uh, launchers and weapons, we would be outnumbered because China, on Russia's side, 
is not subject to any limitations. That is very concerning to me. And as we look at China and Russia, it's not as as um, officially been labeled an axis of evil, but it's a partnership of really bad people. If you want to look at this, I know Russia's been selling its oil at a discounted price to China and China's alleged to be or getting ready to provide weapons to uh, Russia. If Xi Jinping goes to Moscow to meet with Putin, is that an indication that this is going to be a formalization of that relationship? Um, I don't know if China would actually formalize a, an alliance. It only has one alliance with North Korea, and the Chinese are so arrogant these days. But, you know, Mike, the Chinese have already been supplying weapons to Russia for use in, in Ukraine. Almost every day, an Antonov AN-124, which is the biggest cargo plane in the world, takes off from China's Zhengzhou, which is in the central part of China, loaded with ammunition and other high-consumption items. And those Russian planes turn off their transponders when they depart Chinese soil. We know from the very beginning of this war, China has been supplying military information to Russia. And this has occurred all the time, and the Biden administration refuses to acknowledge what's occurred, which is really dangerous because it's basically telling the Chinese they can go ahead and supply China. They can go ahead and ignore warnings from the United States. And that puts the Chinese in a very dangerous position. China's economy, Gordon, and, and we've talked about this for years, you and I, China's economy always appears to be a house of cards that could at any time collapse. Is, is that situation improved by the relationship with Russia? And how does Russia even afford this? Russia affords it because it has it sells uh, hydrocarbons. And, and to a certain extent, um, the Ukraine war has helped the Chinese economy because, as you point out, China has been buying uh, hydrocarbons at a discounted price. And also, uh, China has been selling ammunition and weapons. You know, I haven't gone through all of the stuff that uh, China's been selling, but they've profited off this war. But nonetheless, the Chinese economy is fragile. I think last year it was contracting. They didn't, it didn't grow the 3.0% that Beijing claimed. Probably in this quarter, the Chinese economy is at zero growth or maybe even negative. And what's really fascinating, uh, Mike, is that Chinese municipalities are really broke at this point. They couldn't afford the zero COVID rules, which were very expensive to enforce. And now they're not paying salaries. They're not providing basic services, all sorts of things. And it's not just in these small, out-of-the-way municipalities. It's also in prosperous Guangdong province, where Shenzhen, the metropolis, is not able to afford all of its social service obligations. So this is a, a systemic problem throughout China. If China's economy craters, then you have a tendency to think that desperate people will do desperate things. Uh, what's the most desperate thing you would worry Xi Jinping would do? Yeah, that's, that's a lot of things that he could do. But I think one of them is become even more aggressive in the intercepts in the global commons. May 26th of last year, China did something never occurred before. They fired flares and chaff. Chaff is like aluminum foil used to confuse radar. They fired it within proximity of an Australian P-8 reconnaissance plane, which is unarmed. They did this in international airspace in the South China Sea. Some of that chaff got ingested into one of the two engines of the P-8. 
There was also a dangerous intercept of an unarmed U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane, also in international airspace over the South China Sea in December, where a Chinese Navy fighter came within 10 or 20 feet, depending on whom you believe. And that was extremely provocative. So one of those um, intercepts could go terribly wrong, and there could be the loss of American, Australian, or whatever life. This is a dangerous and provocative situation the Chinese are engaged in, and they think they can get away with it. Um, They look at Biden, and they think that he's incapable. And unfortunately, right now, Biden is not enforcing international norms on China. Uh, We're talking with Gordon Chang, Gordon G. Chang on Twitter, and you should be following him about what's going on in the Asian Peninsula. Gordon, a lot of people say if Ukraine is um, not helped and doesn't force Russia out, that that gives uh, Xi the green light to go and take Taiwan. I know we've talked about that endlessly. Do you think that's the first thing he would do? I don't know if it's the first thing that he would do. And it could be Xi Jinping would move against Japan instead of Taiwan or whatever. But the problem here is that Xi Jinping in general, and this is even before Biden, felt that the United States was in terminal decline. Even before Biden, Xi Jinping thought that the United States was in terminal decline. And after the catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan, that confirmed in the minds of Chinese policymakers that the U.S. was finished. Um, And that's why I think Vladimir Putin decided he could invade Ukraine with impunity. Xi Jinping, if we don't do something about that, that means that he believes that he can then attack one of his neighbors. So we have to disabuse him of the notion that we are finished as a great power. Well, I, I hope Biden, who has used strong rhetoric to warn China about Taiwan, I hope he maintains that posture and and doesn't have any wiggle room. Um, I got time for one more here. Sorry to eat up all your time, Gordon Chang. Uh, North Korea is firing off long-range test missiles. We know they're making nuclear weapons or trying to make nuclear warheads at a feverish pace. Where do you think this is going and how do we stop it? Well, we can stop it by enforcing sanctions on North Korea. And more important, we need to enforce sanctions on North Korea's enablers, uh, China and Russia. All three of them, China, Russia, North Korea, are violating U.N. sanctions. And the United States is just watching it. We issue warnings. We call Security Council meetings. But we don't do anything effective. And the Chinese, the North Koreans and the Russians see this and they figure they can continue to do what they want. This is not just a Biden failure, although Biden is guilty of this. This is you know, a failure of every American president going back to about Bill Clinton. And so we've got a problem in Washington among American policymakers who just view North Korea in, I think, incorrect terms. And the correct term would be to, to view them as a, uh, a nefarious dictatorship that can't be trusted on any level? Yeah, and to start enforcing sanctions. We allow the Chinese to run money laundering operations through our banks in New York City. We didn't allow Pablo Escobar to do that. We don't allow others to money launder, but we allow China to do it. And this is a failure to enforce American laws. And by the way, this is not just a Biden problem. This was a Trump problem. This was an Obama problem. We've just allowed this to continue. So shame on us. This is our financial system. We don't have to put up with it. I agree with you completely on the uh, the analogy of uh, we allowed 
uh, China to do it. And China is peddling drugs that become fentanyl that kills so many Americans. And we need to cut that off and treat them the same way we deal with Pablo Escobar. So many things I want to talk about, Gordon. It's going to have to wait till I bump into you in D.C. next week at CPAC. But we appreciate you sharing all of your knowledge. His name is Gordon Chang. Follow him at Gordon G. Chang on Twitter. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Gordon. Always the best stuff. And we go from geopolitical concerns to the need for inspiration. So let's get him in here. Let's get uh, Jim Stovall to join us. I'm really happy and very excited to talk to our friend Jim Stovall about today's discussion of the Winner's Wisdom column. Jim Stovall is somebody I look up to. He's a prolific writer with more than 50 books on shelves and libraries, a great public speaker, an inspiration, a uh, philanthropist, and an inventor. The guy gave us the the uh, Narrative Television Network, which allows blind people to enjoy movies and TV. And every week, Jim carves out a little time, and, and we talk. And I'm always happy for that time. Jim, welcome, my friend. Well, it's always good to be back with you. I, um, I got some great responses from people who said, we like that guy who inspires every week. And I said, we better get the name out there. It's Jim Stovall at jimstovall.com, people. He's, he's more than just that guy that inspires. So uh, check out Jim's website and get the Winner's Wisdom column because then you, like me, will get in your mailbox this, uh, this inspirational discussion that Jim does every week. Uh, Jim, this week, I know the headline is about understanding and being understood, but you also pick up a couple of really important points in this this week's column uh, about contrast, and you do it with two of my favorite historical figures. Uh, it's a multi-layered lesson this week, is it not? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, I've long believed just because we're talking doesn't mean anyone's listening, and even if they're listening, it doesn't mean we're understanding each other. And I have a friend and a colleague in Washington. We've worked together for over 25 years uh, through the U.S. Department of Education, and she sent me a photo. And now she knows I'm totally blind, but she still sent me a photo, which I appreciate. And it's it's almost a 100-year-old picture, I guess, of Charlie Chaplin and Albert Einstein, both dressed in tuxedos at some kind of event. And the two of them are together, and that's that's poignant enough to see Chaplin and Einstein together. But then the caption, you know, Einstein says to Chaplin, uh, you know, the whole world understands you even though they can't hear you. And then Chaplin's response is something to the effect, well, the whole world hears you but doesn't understand you, but they still respect you. <laughs> and there's this whole thing about, you know, uh, understanding and you know and we we all are trying in the in this world of connectivity today to be heard but we we we're really not trying very hard to hear and understand uh, you know for a lot of people a conversation is uh, I'm waiting for a pause to jump in there with either uh, you know give you my position or I'm just waiting for you to uh, trip a trigger that allows me to say I dismiss you because you know, if you believe that, you have no validity at all. And so we're all looking for those things that uh, uh, that, do, that do that. And I always hearken back to my late great friend, uh, Dr. Stephen Covey, who said, first seek to understand, then seek to uh, be understood. And he said, 
you know, don't even articulate your position until you've repeated the other person's position to their satisfaction. And once you've done that to their satisfaction, then you can share your thoughts. And I have tried that uh, when I can uh, get in touch with my higher self. And whenever I do that, I'm always amazed how often we're really not that far apart. We, you know, this thing I thought was a big mountain is a little molehill. It's not that big a deal. Well, it, it, it also is brilliant, simple advice, uh, Covey's advice to say, first understand and then seek to be understood. If you, if you repeat that back, if you try and say, well, let me make sure I got you, and here's mm-hmm. what I think you're telling me. Otherwise, you might be off on a wild goose chase and have completely missed the lesson or the, the position of the person across from you. And it saves a lot of time, I'll tell you that. I do it on occasion unconsciously, but now I'm going to try and make it uh, a, a habit to do just that. And the other issue that you talked about is the people who wait for just a pause and then jump in to ask a question, not to throw shade on him, but I, I think that Arsenio Hall was one person as a TV host who didn't really follow up what their guests were saying. He had to get to his question. And I always felt like he wasn't listening to the guests. And the most successful hosts to me are the ones who listen to what's being said to them, maybe add to it before they pivot to their agenda. And I, I just think you see the long-term success in people who apply that thinking. Oh yeah, I I at one time I had the privilege of being on with Larry King and and you know and the producer told me now you need to understand <clears throat> he will not have read your book, he will not have looked at your book and you and he are just going to have a conversation. And uh and you know and I you know he was right down the hall there in his little office/dressing slash room. And I wanted to pop in and say hi before the interview. And all he said was good to see you, talk later. That was it. And and I thought that was a little abrupt. And But, you know, when we got out there, he held up my book and said, now, what am I going to understand if I read this book? And what, what will people get out of this? And he really, um, he talked and he had to listen because he had no idea what we were talking about. He, no one had prepped him. I mean, he, he was really, you know, I felt like we really had a conversation. And then afterwards, he, he stood and talked with me and he said, you know, I didn't mean to be abrupt. It's just... Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to leave our best conversation in my office. And that's such great advice. I know there are a lot of people that sit down and do pre-interviews and they demand that they go over everything before they get you on air or in their studio. And the late Regis Philbin used to want no discussion of what they were going to talk about on air between the hosts or the guests because he wanted the fresh reaction. And I think you can do that when you're as talented as he was in being able to uh, listen, understand, and capitalize on what was presented to you. So that's, I get what Larry King was up to, but there's a whole lot to be said for somebody who pays attention and then makes sure they understood it before they move on to their agenda, as I mentioned. Agenda is such a rough word. Maybe I should change that. Well, but, you know, so many interviewers in being a, uh, uh, a junkie of uh, talk media, as you and I both are, nothing more annoying to me than you get somebody on and they say, hey, you know, we were talking before we were on the air about this, and you made me laugh, and it was so funny, and then uh, and then during the break we were talking about that, and I'm thinking, I'm missing the best part of this, you know. I Save it for the air. I mean, uh, uh, it, it's part of the show. 
That's a great point. And I I will hear us talk about things. I know I'm talking about us in, in a distant person here. But Jim and I do talk before we, we uh, start our uh, recorded or produced discussion. And uh, I will make a mental note or even a physical note to say, make sure you bring that up. Because there's so many good things and I don't want to lose it. Uh, and, and for your and for the Opelka audience, I do want to go inside baseball behind the curtain here. In our pre-conversations, guys, you're missing nothing talking to Opelka <laughs> early in the morning. So just don't even worry about it. I mean, he he, he doesn't. There's nothing in the bag that that's being saved. It's it's all for the show. It is, and uh, uh, so far it's done okay for me. I, I'm 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 still here, Jim. And that's when everybody says, "How are you doing?" I go, "I'm still here." That's that's Absolutely. my success gauge. Uh, Jim Stovall is uh, my friend. He's our friend. I encourage you to listen to what he says. Track him down at jimstovall.com and sign up for the Winner's Wisdom column. It shows up in your inbox. And uh, this week especially enjoyed the uh, reference to the great contrast between Albert Einstein and uh, Charlie Chaplin. A Kind of the contrast between Jim Stovall and myself. In some ways. Well, I, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I certainly won't disagree with you. <laughs> two shots in the, in the last third of our discussion today, Jim. I took two body shots, and I'm still standing. In the words of the great late Jake LaMotta, you never got me down, Ray. You never knocked me down. Uh, Jim, thank you, my friend. Uh, we'll do it again next week. I will look forward to it. Be well. 